Hello and welcome to Central's podcast. We pray your heart is touched through listening and that it helps you in your walk with Jesus. Today's message is from Pastor Kurt. All right, so just in these next couple of weeks, we're going to be rounding out the tent series. It's been a lot of fun. It's been challenging to uh, learn what is biblical and just what is tradition uh, alone and how to decipher those things. But hopefully uh, you have been blessed by these, these messages and that you are seeing Jesus throughout portions of the Old Testament. So we've broken down uh, this tabernacle area into the outer court, which was outside, and then the tent of meeting, or the actual tabernacle tent, has two rooms. You have the holy place that's separated with a curtain, and then you have the most holy place that is also separated with the curtain. What I want this to do is prepare your heart for Easter season. Now, usually we would be preaching a sermon series on the life of Jesus and the Passion Week and everything leading up to it. So it might seem odd to talk about just Old Testament all the way up to Easter Sunday. But if you see Jesus in the tabernacle and you see Jesus in each of those furnishings and each of the activities that the priests have taken, uh, partaken in, then you will have your heart prepared for the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? So I want these things to be pointing your mind, your will, your, uh, your heart toward this resurrection season, even though we're in the Old Testament. So we finished out the three pieces in the holy place. So next would be the veil that is separating the holy place and the most holy place, and then the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, the tangible presence of God where the cloud uh, would descend and stay during the day and there would be fire in that cloud at night. But we're gonna pause in these elements of the tabernacle for one week and we're going to talk about the priestly garments because these are important as well. I love how like God doesn't waste anything in the Bible, right? Like we, we could look at each one of these elements and see what it points to, but what the priests wore were also significant. In fact, as we understand the significance of what the priests of the old covenant wore on the outside, we will be able to understand the significance of how we have to prepare on the inside as priests of the new covenant. Amen? Amen? Amen. So there's an inner preparation in our heart and our mind as we go to minister before the Lord. And we'll be able to take some of these pieces that the priests wore and take the ancient ways that of the reasons why he wore those and pull them into our day. And then obviously much of the garments that he wore pointed, of course, to Jesus. Again, I, if nothing else, let's say you don't remember what the color blue means uh, in the garments or you don't remember what the altar of incense means. I would love it if this church family had a passion and a hunger to learn the Old Testament like never before because Jesus is smattered through this entire Testament. We just have to slow down enough to learn how and where. I don't want you to get confused. I don't want you to get overwhelmed. I want you to create, uh, to have a, a greater hunger to read the Old Testament and to know, listen, yes, 
Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled and completed the old covenant. Now we're living in a new covenant. But when we understand that that law exposed us as sinners, and that is why we knew at one point in our life we needed a Savior, we needed the mercy of God, then we actually appreciate Jesus more as we recognize the old covenant. So we don't want to just skip past all this stuff and say, hey, let's just get us to the red words. Let's just get us to Jesus. The Old Testament is getting us to Jesus. Amen? All right, so I was thinking about the priests. They have like this very specific uniform. A lot of professions have a very specific uniform as well. You'll see a few pictures up there. If you think of like even a doctor, they you know, wear their white, uh, their white coat and white outfit, and it does. It represents that they're sanitized, that they're clean. But there's also instruments, and also you, know, you could recognize that they're the doctor when they're in the room caring for their patients. But they have instruments that are used to be effective in their caring for those who are sick and their x-rays to be able to identify what's going on. Think of a police officer, the badge that represents his authority, patches that would represent where he or she is from, different things on their outfit, their gun, their handcuffs. They are all used for effectiveness of the purpose that they have. A firefighter, you know, they have their fire uh, resistant or fireproof uh, uniforms that they put, in, put on, their special helmet that has to resist and be proofed from not just the fire, but also the heat. They have their hoses, their axes, their sledgehammers. All this stuff has a purpose, right? However, everything that they wear on the outside also represents a mindset and a focus that they're supposed to have going into their job. For instance, if you were about to have open heart surgery and the doctor walked in and he had his, he or she had his, uh, had their, you know, their white uniform on and they came in and they were asking, you know, how your day was going. You said, how's your day? And he's like, it's okay, but I'm just really looking forward to golfing later. Like we have this big tournament. My mind is totally focused on that, but we're going to put you under now. Have a good time. You're like, hold on. I don't care what you have on on the outside. I want your mind focused, Right? The firefighter with a hose in one hand and watching March Madness on his phone on the other hand. Not cool. Their mind isn't there. So when you look at what the priest was told to wear on the outside, it was representative of the position of their heart on the inside. The Lord never intended for the priests to minister to him with their mind elsewhere or with their heart elsewhere. So it's about focus on what we're doing in the heart. So, you know this guy named Moses. He got the people of Israel out of Egypt. He was their deliverer. He was looked at as their minister, okay? He met with God on the mountaintop. He met with God in the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. But he was not a priest. In fact, it was Moses' brother, Aaron, who was declared to be the high priest. So Moses and Aaron worked in partnership, but Moses was not a priest. It was Aaron who was from the tribe of the Levites who was declared the high priest. Then his sons were the priests. In future generations, his sons would be declared one at a time the high priest with other priests surrounding them. So this uniform, this garments that they would be uh, wearing, it was for the purpose of glory and beauty. Again, all pointing to Jesus. This high priest wore a full uniform. It had great meaning and significance. The garments were only able to be put on, if you remember the wash basin, 
outside. They would wash their hands, looking at the mirrors that covered for self-reflection and for preparation. They would wash their feet. They would put their garments on. They would begin to minister. Now, a lot about what I'm going to talk about today, it's just the high priest's uniform, I guess we could call it, that all the other priests that ministered had a simple white uh, uniform with then just a sash around them. In Psalm 132, verse 9, it says this, May your priests be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. Now, again, we have to remember when these Psalms are being written, they understand what happens in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple. So we always think, like if we would think of this, we'd be like, okay, they're talking definitely spiritual here. But they understood that the priests had certain garments for certain reasons. And let's read about it here. In Exodus chapter 28, starting at verse one, there's no way we're gonna get through every little piece and every little color and every little strand of significance, but we're just gonna pick out some of the major ones today. All right, so the Lord says, have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons, Nadab and Abihu, Abihu, sorry, I'll get it, Eleazar and Ithamar, so they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. So what's happening here is the Lord is setting him apart. If you've been with this church family since January, that entire month we spent talking about being consecrated, set apart as holy unto the Lord. This is what the Lord's doing. He's saying, listen, there's gonna be priests here, but Aaron, the high priest, is going to have specific things on for the purpose of dignity and honor. Because God the Father knew that one day Jesus would fulfill the ultimate role of the high priest. So he's just setting us up here. In verse four, it says, these are the garments that, are to, that you are to make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons, so they may serve me as priests. Have them use gold and blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. What we want to see again Everything on the outside of Aaron is now pointing to an intrinsic character trait of Jesus himself. We talked about this in, in weeks, I almost said years past, it hasn't been that long. In weeks past, that color gold, we see the same, I mean like, if you're looking at what's used on the entrance gate, and then what's used on the curtain going in, and now we'll see it next week on the veil, the same colors over and over again. So this gold representing sovereignty of God, Blue, representing divinity and heaven. Purple, representing royalty. Scarlet, representing first sin, but ultimately pointing to the blood of Jesus. All of these, all of these colors woven together with special meaning. Pick up in verse six here, it says, then make the ephod of gold and blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and finely twisted linen, the work of skilled hands. And ephod was like a shawl that you would lay over your shoulders, specifically on them, it laid on top of a blue robe, which was another layer of clothing. Again, I've read these things a hundred times in the past and I would start to read this stuff and like just get lost. I'm like, this would be uncomfortable. It would be hot. It would look weird. What is going on? There's like all these things. Just slow down, use some good study notes and you'll find uh, just a, a, a bucket full of treasures behind it. 
So it says here in verse seven, it is to have two shoulder pieces attached to two of its corners. So it can be fastened. It's skillfully woven waistband is to be like it. Let's go down to verse nine. Take two oxen stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel in the order of their birth. Six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Verse 12. And fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulders as a memorial before the Lord. So what's happening here is this. These six names, or these 12 names, six on either side, they are the names of Israel. If you remember the name Jacob, who was then, his name was changed to Israel. And this was the nation now of Israel, God's chosen people that were growing in number in Egypt when they said they are getting too big, make them slaves. The significance here is that these are not just names from the old days. These were the 12 tribes that surrounded the tabernacle. So these names are very significant, representing a tribe of each people group that were called to worship the Lord. Now, this is significant here. With uh, Aaron, the high priest, having them on his shoulders is symbolizing him wearing the weight wearing the responsibility of who they are before the Lord. So when he comes through that first entrance point into the holy place, and then once a year into the most holy place, as he ministers before the Lord, he is representing the people of God who are not permitted in the presence. What does that mean? He's standing in the gap, so he's a mediator before them. It's very important to understand when he's wearing these on his shoulders, the significance is I am carrying these people that you love before you into your presence as their mediator. Now, let's pick up with a verse in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 that we usually use at Christmas time. Let's see some significance here. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. Who are we talking about? Good job. If I ever ask that question, just say Jesus. You'll be right most of the time. Or maybe don't, because if you're wrong, you'll be embarrassed, but it's all right. No, I'm sorry. All right. Front to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. So what the high priest used to do with the names of Israel on each shoulder, wearing the spiritual weight of it, bringing offerings, sacrifices, sacred gifts, on behalf of those people, he's the mediator between the people and God. And now in Isaiah, it's prophesying toward a day when a son is going to be given where that government, that kingly government will be resting where? On his shoulders. In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says this, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. And his name isn't Aaron. It says the man Christ Jesus. Jesus took over being the mediator, being the high priest when he died on the cross and he was resurrected. Something that we're gonna celebrate in a few short weeks. So now you don't see Jesus 
putting on a special uniform on the outside. You don't see him wearing special garments, going before the presence of the Lord over and over and over again. He's not bringing animal sacrifices. He himself was the perfect sacrifice on the cross. That's what allows him to be the mediator between us and God. This is the part that I love about the new covenant the most. In the old covenant, check this out. In the old covenant, the agreement, the relationship was between God and people, okay? So they're brought into covenant and now there's blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. Guess what people did over and over and over again? They messed it up. They broke the covenant. They fell under punishment. They fell under curses, all these things. And God kept saying, I want you back. And they broke it. I want you back. And they broke it. Throughout the Old Testament, there's multiple covenants. What I love about the new covenant is it is first and foremost between God the Father and Jesus the Son. The covenant's between them. And then when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we come into unity with Jesus. We're hidden in Christ. So now we are in the new covenant with Christ. Guess who's never going to break the covenant with God? Jesus. He won't do it. It's impossible. So now we sin, we walk in rebellion, and we immediately are identified in that through the the presence of the Spirit in our life, and we repent, we return back to him. We say, God, I am sorry I've done this to you. I recognize everything that Jesus has done to put me into a place of covenant with you, and I'm coming back to you. And I ask for your forgiveness, and I repent of my sins. I turn from my wicked ways, and I come. In the old covenant, they wanted to run away because they knew they failed God. In the new covenant, it should push us right back into his presence because we are in covenant with God through Jesus, our mediator. Hebrews 9.11 says this, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. So that is to say it is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Verse 15 says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set us free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Jesus was the high priest they had been waiting for all these years, and so many people missed it. So many people were waiting for an earthly king to show up, something to happen that was different. He came as a servant and yet fulfilled the law, fulfilled the old covenant, and has entered us into the new. Amen? This is good stuff. Let's take a look at the breast piece here. Exodus 28, 15. It says, fashion a breast piece for making decisions, the work of skilled hands. Make it like the ephod, gold, the blue, the purple, the scarlet. Verse 16, it's to be square, a span long by a span wide, that's about nine inches, and folded double. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it. In verse 21, it says, there are to be 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name 
of one of the 12 tribes. In verse 29, it says, whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continual, continuing memorial before the Lord. This number 12 often indicates governmental perfection, meaning together the 12 brought perfection. So scholars would say that looking forward to the new covenant, this does, did not represent just the 12 tribes of Israel, but everybody and anybody in the history of mankind that would surrender their life to Jesus is included in that breast piece. I want you to think of these precious stones. Like, check this out. Remember, if you remember the holy place that is overlaid with gold, think about this priest having it close to the heart. What does that mean? It's God's love and care and concern for the people of God, right? So he has their names on their shoulders where he's the mediator, but he brings the love of God, his love for those people right into God's presence. So when... Check this out. Like when Aaron's messing with the bread, well, he's probably not messing with it. Whenever he's doing his priestly duties with the bread, he's flipping the bread. Sorry. He did not do that. When he's interacting with the holy bread and that golden mirror, or if he's trimming the wicks on the other side of the lampstand and with that golden wall, picture those gems just reflecting off. Every time his eye caught what he was wearing, he's thinking, that's God's heart for the people. That's God's love for the people. This is God's will for the people, to be one with him, to be in relationship with him, for their prayers, their praise to rise like incense in his presence. What a wonderful reminder of his love for us, guys. But think about all the other religions are out there. You have to prove yourself to God. You have to hurt yourself to God. You have to hope to get in. You have to ascend to him to somehow find him. And yet our God has completely reversed that. He came to us in the flesh in a man named Jesus and died for us. It doesn't even seem fair when you think about it. And his justice was completely set upon Jesus on that cross. It's an amazing love, and it's close to his heart. It's close to his heart. I want you to see in this next verse here, in verse 30, it says, also put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastpiece, so they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus Aaron will always bear the names of making decisions, I'm sorry, the means of, of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. So we have this thing, Urim and Thummim. There's not a lot of evidence in scripture what these were. From my research this week, I have seen three common things. One thing that I kept reading over and over again and learning is that Urim has the first letter of the Hebrew um, uh, alphabet and Thummim has the last letter. Urim means lights. Thummim means perfection. So together, what light means? Revelation, perfection, God's will. So these things, which are, which are believed to be precious stones, were placed inside, behind the breastpiece, even closer to Aaron's heart than these gemstones. So what we can look at are these two things that are made. 
the Lord is giving revelation so his will can be discovered. Now, there's three different beliefs right now, and I don't know, these are not in Scripture. These are just from Jewish resources. One belief is that these stones were translucent, that when Aaron would be in the presence of the Lord, he would like line it up with the Lord's glory, which would shine through one onto another and would illuminate one of the gems. And if it was a tribal issue, that tribe would be, that tribe would be the one that was correct or right. It would be the yes or the no of the Lord. Again, it's not found in Scripture, I'm just sharing some speculation among the Jewish people. A second one would be like casting lots. We would know that as almost like throwing dice. They would bring it out. They would ask the Lord a yes or no question on behalf of the people. It would be thrown or you know, revealed in their hands. And however that these gemstones were, it would be the yes or no of God. The third one that I found was that the priest or that Aaron or the high priest at the time would put his hand behind the press plate ask the question and pull out one. And whatever it was, the first or the last letter would be the yes or the no of God. Regardless of how he used it, I want you just to remember this. This decision-making tool that he gave them was the closest thing to the heart out of all these other pieces. And it was the heart of God for Aaron and the Israelites to know the will of God. And if we pull this into today, we have the spirit of the living God living in our hearts and he wants us to know his will. I said it in first service. It is God's will for you to know God's will. It's simple and yet a little confusing and yet profound. It is God's will for you to know God's will. He does not want you running around confused, frustrated, mad, angry, When he is silent, it's on purpose. When he's speaking loudly, it's on purpose. But ultimately, it's to draw you into relationship with him first. I don't think God wants us to minimize our relationship to him as a business transaction. Like, I'm here here to meet with you today. I need my yes or no answer. When you give it to me, I'm gone. How about let's grow in relationship with him and know his will is closest to his heart we can begin to grasp the heart of God for a situation, we'll know what his will is. We'll know what our next decision is and we can walk through with confidence. Verse 31, there's more. So it says now to make this robe of the ephod entirely of blue cloth. There's an opening for the head. It says there should be a woven edge, like a collar around the opening. Let's get to verse 33. So there's pomegranates of blue purple and scarlet yarn around the hem of the robe and golden bells between them. It says the gold bells and the pomegranates are to alternate around the hem of the robe. Aaron must wear it when he ministers. The sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out. So he will not die. These bells represented listening to the Lord as you minister. Think about this. Average worshiper on the outside, either outside of the entire walls or or in the outer courts. The priests go into the holy place. When Aaron, the high priest, was in the holy place or the most holy place, and he's moving around, they heard the bells ringing. What did that represent? He's listening to the Lord right now. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing as he ministers to the Lord. In Jewish tradition, that sound was a joyful sound of serving the Lord, right? 
My high priest, Aaron, is in there representing me, giving sacred gifts to the Lord on behalf of me and my tribe and their tribe and that tribe. That was a joyful sound to hear the high priest moving around. Those pomegranates represented fruitfulness. So there was fruitfulness in Aaron's ministry to the Lord. Now I want you to catch this. We are not high priests. Only Jesus is the high priest. But we are priests who minister unto the Lord. So now when we minister in the new covenant, fortunately we don't have bells around us that are going around while we're worshiping him, while we're singing, while we're praying. But there should be something in your heart that is reverberating, that has that smile of Jesus on it, right? There should be that same fulfillment as the people of God heard Aaron serving within that holy and most holy place. We should hear something in our heart. We should feel something in our heart when we are making connection with our Father. So that's serving the Father, ministering to Him. Those pomegranates represent fruit in our lives. First and foremost, the fruit of Jesus' life. But as now we serve other people, we're supposed to be bearing fruit, folks. Right? Jesus said, bear fruit, fruit that will remain, fruit that will last. So if we take this, and then any other time you read this or you picture this priest with the bells and the pomegranates, you can think, I want to spend time with the Lord until I can hear him reverberating in my heart. And I want to bear the fruit that those pomegranates represented when I'm ministering to other people. This is what the priest did, right? Ministered unto the Lord, ministered to the people. Minister unto the Lord, minister to the people. Don't get that wrong. Don't go to people, 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 people until you're so drained that you come crawling to the Lord. How about let's get filled up with the Lord, hear the bells ring, then go minister fruitfulness to other people. I want to end with turbans. Adam, you can come up at this time. So in verse 36 here, it says, to make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it as on a seal, holy to the Lord. So there's this golden plate that now says holy to the Lord on it. And the Lord says to fasten a blue cord to it and attach it to the turban, which was the hat that the high priest wore. It is to be on the front of the turban. Verse 38 says, it will be on Aaron's forehead and he will bear the guilt involved in the sacred gifts the Israelites consecrate, whatever their gifts may be. It will be on Aaron's forehead continually so that they will be acceptable to the Lord. Check this out. Not just this breastplate, but every time Aaron was, again, in that holy place where the gold was reflective, he's seeing this mark on his head that is saying, holy to the Lord. This points directly to the fact that he was consecrated to live a life completely free from any impurity, any injustice, so he could represent the people who had sinned. You guys following me? So his life was supposed to be holy to the Lord. Why? He's walking into the presence, bearing the guilt of the people. So the Lord is looking for a worthy sacrifice. And as he's sprinkling this blood or as he's lighting the incense, whatever he's doing, something has to be holy 
that is leading the, the sin and the representation of the people into the holy place or the most holy place. Again, this plate on the outside represents how the position of his heart should have been on the inside. And we know this plate is the life of Jesus, holy to the Lord. Jesus doesn't have to wear a gold plate and a turban on his head. He wore the crown of thorns once. Now he wears the crown of a king, but he will forever wear that. He is the king. He is the one who is holy. In Hebrews chapter seven, it says this. There have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. This is awesome. It says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. I mean, Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, he is positioned as the forever intercessor of the people of God. He is forever the mediator between us and God. He is the reason that God is our heavenly father, that we can be his child that we can be in friendship with him. In verse 26, it says, such a high priest truly meets our need. Follow this. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Listen, you got to understand this. When there are Jews or Gentiles reading this, they know enough of what was on that priestly garment that when this writer is saying, there is one priest who will forever reign as the high priest. He is one who is holy. He is the one who is blameless, pure, and set apart for sinners. What did the Old, Old Testament priests do? They were set apart. They were consecrated. They were anointed for this task. And now in Hebrews it's saying, there is one. There's one who fulfills this rule of holiness being blameless and set apart from sinners. And his name is Jesus. Even it says here, it's exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. This is our Jesus. He is the high priest. He does not need to wear these garments, but everything in those garments point to the person of Jesus. This entire chapter ends saying in verse 41, after you put these clothes on your brother Aaron and his sons, anoint them and ordain them. Exodus 29 talks about the anointing. And then in Leviticus 30, it talks about how they actually sprinkle blood from one of the sacrifices on their garments and also on the priests and then anointed with oil. Now you're gonna have the opportunity just in a few minutes to come forward to receive anointing with oil and to receive prayer. This anointing is simply symbolic of the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing magical about the oil that we have here. It's symbolic. It points forward to the Spirit of God anointing you for a purpose. Now, this is really cool. If you come forward today, you're not saying that you're called to full-time vocational ministry. You're not saying you have to work in the church walls. What you're saying is this, 
I recognize that I'm a priest of the new covenant who can minister to the Lord and minister to other people. And I believe the Lord wants me to be set apart, consecrated, anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit and the purity that comes with the blood of Jesus. So I'm going to come forward, receive the anointing, be prayed for, and be able to walk out of here with greater confidence that God has something specific and special for you in this season. Unfortunately, we're not going to go Old Testament on you. We don't have these big uh, jars of oil where we're going to pour it all over your head. We believe a little dab will do you, so we're just going to go right here on the forehead. But in the Old Testament, picture Aaron, like with, I mean, he got this whole fancy new garment on, all these layers, all these gems, and then like they bring out the blood, and then they bring out this oil, and they're just like, pour, it says, pour it over his head, just greasy and sticky, probably all in his contacts and stuff. I mean, it would have been messy. But you know what? Every time he touches it, he sees the smear of it over that gem. You know, it's a little bit sticky. What's he remember? The spirit of the Lord. I'm consecrated. I'm anointed. I'm ordained for this moment in time. We too will pass from here. Only Jesus will remain forever. We will get a new body some other time after we pass from this earth. This is the time where we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We won't need it when we're face to face with Jesus. We will be in his presence. We need his anointing now. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and go visit centralconnect.org for more information and media.